All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. All right, baby, Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a Gunner Kennel when he goes to and fro, and in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints, and, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide the dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel all right our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird let me help you help your dog bunch of different breeds bunch of different personalities start to finish teaching you how to do it links in the description Welcome to episode 32, Lone Ducks, Gundog Chronicles. Thanks for tuning in. It's me and Kev just chilling out. We got some cool stuff planned for you today. We are going to talk about zero to six months, what to do with that puppy, how to get him off on the right track. But before we jump into that good stuff, we got a couple little little tidbits we want to chat with you about. The first thing is this episode and these tips are brought to you by Yukonuba, baby. As we talked about on the last podcast, which was super fun with the owner of Gunner Kennels, Addison, we had a blast with him. So if you haven't tuned into that one, go back, listen to that bad boy. But Yukonuba has graciously sponsored the podcast Um High-quality food, dogs are looking good, feeling good on it. If you're interested in trying it out, I'd suggest it. The old hashtag, you can do it too, baby. Also, want to give a little tiny shout-out, little self-pat on the back. Check out the website, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. A lot of you guys support us through you know, our T-shirt sales, hat sales, but we also do dog sales and wingers and... All sorts of cool stuff. We got blog articles and a lot of information that's helpful on there. But if you dig the podcast and you'd like to support Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, we there's a shirt on there, the Unspoken Bond. And if you're digging this podcast, I know you'll like that shirt. So do us a solid. If you're if you're interested, check it out. We'd appreciate it. What you think, Kev? Get some. Get you some. All right. The other thing I want to talk about is I'm sipping, and Kevin is sipping. Yeah, buddy. On some Johnny Walker. And I want to tell you what a weekend we had. I it had, was real good. 
uh, we got a ton of work done, but there were there was a lot of people that came out and trained with us this weekend. But two guys, Rhode Island and Massachusetts, Bill and Aaron. Um, Bill bought a dog, a puppy off of me from Cruz's litter. Uh, his name is Aries, and if you follow along on Instagram at Lone Duck, uh, Bill shares a ton of pictures of Aries and his progress and his training and. The puppy's doing great, and, and Bill loves him, you know. Uh, Uns, unspoken uh, Unspokenly, he loves that dog <laughs> so hard. Um, and Aaron, Aaron's got a couple of really nice young dogs as Sharp-looking well. dogs. They're nice. Yep. And, and these guys came up, spent the weekend, trained with us, and, you know, they were – they had heard on our podcast, Kevin and I were drinking some Johnny Walker, and they brought – us both uh, a bottle of Johnny Walker 18 year old let me tell you legal barely legal it's delicious and so I just want to give them a shout out for a few things one driving all the way out to train with us two for having fun and just being good people to to have around and and keep working hard with their dogs and just thank them for you know, the graciousness that the, the gifts that they brought. So and just being part of the community and, and, and being a, a vocal person within the community and providing great feedback. It was awesome. I would encourage if I mean, it's, it's funny. Like they just sent us a message and was like, Hey, like you mind if we come out and train for a weekend? Yeah. 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 I mean, up. listen, come on out, baby. If you want to come to central New York and drive your butt here, we'll, we'll figure it out have you out and we'll have some fun. Um, they did set a precedent with good good whiskey. That is true. <laughs> yeah, they did bring booze. There's no pressure, but yeah, hey, yeah, no doubt, no <laughs> pressure, but but beer and and whiskey go a long way apparently for Kevin and I. Um, maybe that would be something if you guys are interested in. Maybe write into us, send us a direct message, or we could do like a poll. If we hosted a, I'm not gonna say a seminar, but maybe a training weekend. A training weekend where you know, we have 15 or 20 spots and, and I host the training session and set things up for you and your dogs and just kind of help you along, answer questions, have fun, maybe a little barbecue. That might be something fun we could do before duck season gets here. I'm into it. Oh. Why don't we do that? Why don't so uh, duck season's right around the corner, though. As soon as I turn around, it'll be early goose. But either way, let's figure that out. No, we're going to we'll, put that together. We're going to do that. We're going to figure that out. But uh Give us feedback. Yeah. If you you'd in? be interested in doing it, let's do it, baby. All right. Now into the show. Let's do this. Most of the questions I get on Instagram and Facebook and during our Q&As are the eight-week-old to six-month-old or really their first hunting season, what they need to do. And so I, I like to talk and coach people in that stage. Um, it's a fun age. It's the world is that puppy's oyster and the light bulbs continuously go off. If you need more cliches for me to bring up, I'll we could find a few. We could find a few. Um, you got to have your ducks in a row. There you go. Nice. You're lo just one though. One lone duck. Um, but it's a really fun age. So I'm going to kind of go through the process of, you know, we've, We've talked about picking a puppy on the podcast before with looking at pedigree 
and buying a puppy is the cheapest part of owning a dog. And so, you know, if your budget is $600, maybe you wait a little longer and save a little bit more and get that $1,200 puppy whose parents are both master hunter, HRCHs, or qualified all age, or whatever, and do do that research and find a great breeder who's going to help you along. Um, so we're past that. You got your puppy. You got him home. Now what do you do? I think a lot of people, and we talked a lot about this this weekend, because the lone duck pups are awesome. They are fast learners. They have high drive. Um, they try hard. They're happy. They want to please. But they're not perfect. They got little quirks. They got little flaws. They're puppies. Exactly. That's the whole gist of it is they are puppies still. They're six months old. Just turned six months old. So, you know, we all get in this rush, and I'm to blame as well. I mean, I, I'm doing things with Brew and Culper because I've raised them from, well, literally from their first breath until now. And so I, I feel this pressure to show people, you know, what a dog can do. But in the grand scheme of things, they're still a dog. They still need to learn at a you, – you can't skip to the next step if you haven't really solidified the first step. And, and I kind of caught myself this weekend trying to do that and, and pushing these puppies and watching – I think I we had like six, six of the 12 puppies there this weekend training, and they're all crushing it in certain aspects. And then they're all – they all have little things that we could tweak and work on and grow and develop to make them better in the long run. But if you rush it, those little things might be a problem at a year and a half old in the duck blind. Or it's just something to monitor, and I think that that's a good way of, or at least how well, I, think I wouldn't of think it. of monitoring it. It's, well, just of it's like, training. It's it's yes, it's training, and everything is a little building block that leads to the next building block that leads to the next building block and if you get ahead of yourself you're not going to have the proper foundation set in place so that you can properly go to that next step and so if you just monitor everything and you do things at the right cadence then you can move forward sure that's a great great comment oh i appreciate that (laughs) so with that being said a lot of the comments i get are people who have 14-week-old puppies and they're pushing them too fast, too far. Or they'll tell me, well, my dog already comes and sits and heals and does all these things and is steady. And I'm like, oh, wow, great. How old your dog? Uh, 14 weeks. What is that, three months? Steady three when, and a half when you put a treat on their nose. It's different than steady, steady. Right. I'm not busting balls. Like, I'm serious. Like, People are pushing their puppies too fast. And the other kicker is, do they really know those things or are they doing them for treats? Are they doing them when they feel like it? And do you have to ask 10 times? And all those things are fine because it's only three months old. So the the biggest thing I can say is socialization. People, places, and things. Take them on hikes. Take them to Home Depot. Take them to PetSmart. Take them to Tractor Supply. Take them to your kid's soccer game. You know, 
anywhere you go, that puppy should be riding with you, meeting people, meeting other dogs who are friendly, right? You don't want to put your puppy in a situation where it could annoy an older dog too much and the older dog snaps at him and hurts him or scares him. Or, you know, you're walking down the street in your neighborhood and you ask the little lady down the road who's got a dog, hey, can I meet your dog? I want to socialize my puppy. And she feels obligated or like everything's going to be okay. You know, my dog's mostly friendly. And you walk up and your puppy's licking the dog in the face and gets nailed. So there's, you know, take that with a grain of salt. You want to carefully introduce your dog to new dogs and stuff like that. But socialize them. Um, Everything should be fun. Everything should be an adventure and a positive experience. Car rides, crate training, you know, the word no, right? Like teaching them no. So one of the tips that I give people is to go to the dollar store and buy five dollar store leashes. So if your puppy chews them or they get knotted up or you lose one, it's no big deal. You're not buying a leather lead or a a heavy-duty one from PetSmart that's 20 bucks. But let that little sucker drag that leash around the house while you're watching it. So let's say he's bored and he's nibbling on your table leg or you're molding or uh, the carpet, or what have you, you've got a four-foot leash dragging behind that puppy to grab, pop the lead, and say no. A lot of people will just be like, no, no, no. And on the fifth no, they stand up and the puppy stops. If you had that lead and you could kind of sneak up and grab that lead and pop them and tell them no, now no means a correction. No actually holds some water. Versus having to say it 10 times and then the puppy, you know, stops on its own or you finally get up and and make a correction. So that's a little tidbit. Um, Housebreaking and crate training are huge. A lot of people get excited to let their puppy sleep in bed. Or, you know, he, he doesn't have any more accidents through the night. He's sleeping through the night. So they put a dog bed on the ground. You're asking for a problem, okay? You know, if you can't catch the puppy in the act of making a mistake and teach them and correct them and guide them towards what's right because you're asleep or you're in another room or you're in the shower and they're able to do something wrong, now they learn when you're out of the room or asleep or in the shower, they can get away with murder. You know, I've never had a dog since Nelson 20 years ago or whatever it was jump on counters. They just never learned that they could, so they don't. Because their whole life, I'm on top of them and watching them and following them around the house and making sure that what they do right and wrong is praised or corrected to teach them and guide them what's acceptable and unacceptable in my house. Um, does that make sense, Kev? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm tracking you on that. I think it makes sense. One, oh, another what? thing. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I just popped in my head. Another thing people don't, you know, I get messages all the time is I don't want my, you know, I'm at work for eight hours a day. I don't want my dog staying in a crate all day. So they put, they block the kitchen off or they put them in a mud room and then they come home and things are chewed up or there's accidents on the ground. The puppy should be in a crate. 
for a while. The crate is your best friend, and the crate is the puppy's safety spot. It's their quiet time. It's their den. They are comfortable in it if you train it right. It's not a negative. Um, dogs don't understand timeouts. So if you need a timeout, you're tired of following the puppy around and it, it's wound and crazy and you need a break, put him in the crate. He won't understand that it's because he's being crazy and wild. So I'm going in the crate. I need to calm down. But for you, it's more, you know, don't lose your patience and just put right. the pup up for a minute. So you're if you pen the dog up in a kitchen or in like a baby gated area or in a, a mud room or something, you're asking for accidents to happen, whether it be a bowel accident or a chewing accident, whatever. Um, that crate should be small enough for the dog to basically stand up, turn around, lay down. If you have too much space, like if you put a little baby puppy in a extra large crate, then they're gonna go. On they're gonna one go side on one side on and hang out on the other. Okay, exactly, Kev. So you want to, you know, section that crate off so they just have enough room to chill out and sleep. Um, another thing I do with crate training is I'll feed the dogs in there. So, you know, in the morning and at night or whatever, I feed the dogs in the crate. Now the crate's a positive place to go because right. they eat in there and they hang out. And, you know, you can give them toys and bones. I don't suggest, uh, like, stuffed animals. Stuffed animals can be shredded, eaten, choked on. They're hazardous to be unsupervised. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, so how many times you see a dog rip something or shake its head and whatever, which is a bad habit to yeah. get. In. So like Kong toys, yeah. Nyla bones, um, those really, really hard uh, marrow bones that you can get from the store. Those are all good things for that puppy to take some of that chewing energy out on that is not your chair leg or a stuffed animal that they could eat and swallow. What else, Kev? Keep it rolling with yeah, me. Yeah, man. I was Well, so uh, I was going to ask, you had mentioned uh, the word correction a few times. And to everybody listening, a correction might mean one thing. To the next person, it might mean something different. So when you're correcting a puppy. Um, sure. Yeah, or, that's a great Or thing. maybe like a smaller dog let's say like what does that look like to you to me there there's many different ways to give a correction so you've got verbal correction no you've got or you know i'm a big knock it off <laughs> hey you <laughs> knock it off <laughs> right but no um leave it um quiet those are all like verbal little corrections where well, those they, are they don't start as verbal right so but exact so you got verbal corrections leash corrections physical corrections and e-collar corrections so verbal is those words leash correction would be that pop on the lead so that puppy's dragging the leash around you can grab the leash pop them or if he goes to jump on somebody you can pop the lead or you're walking at heel and you can pop the lead those are leash corrections physical corrections would be like grabbing the puppy by the collar and just giving it a little shake and a no. Uh, um, I'm a big fan of that. That's what a mother dog would do. It really kind of snaps the puppy out of crazy mode. You relax the puppy. They'll, you'll, if you grab them by the collar and you give them a little shake, and I'm not talking thrash yeah, yeah. them, but 
You give them a little shake and just no, knock it off. And you, you hang on to them and you start to relax your grip. You're going to feel that puppy relax. You're going to feel them tense up and wrestle and you ride that Bronco and you're going to feel that body like submit, if you will, and relax and calm themselves down. So you're doing a job at calming them down by giving that correction and you let go gently. And if they go right back into crazy mode, you grab right back because you got that four foot leash. You can grab, reel them in, calm them down. Um, How long does that take? Because every dog's different every moment or every every instance. You just hit the nail on the head, bud. Every dog's different. So some are going to be more um, bullheaded and and going to need a little bit more time to take that deep breath and relax and and calm down. Others, are it's going to snap them out. Because all they're doing is getting fired up. And and you need to redirect that energy and switch their focus onto being more calm and relaxed. Very Caesar Milan-esque, actually. Love that guy. Yeah, so you're just snapping that mode that they're in and and refocusing them, getting that deep breath out of them, and you'll feel them relax. And I do the same with nipping. So I'll grab, I'm righty, so I grab them with my left hand by the collar, and my right hand goes around their muzzle, and I hang on, I give a little shake, and I tell them no, no bite. They're going to wriggle, they're going to try and fight it, they're going to whimper, they're going to whine, and they're going to fight until they don't and they're going to relax and all of a sudden you're going to feel that relax and you're going to slowly let go and if they go right back like an alligator and whack, try and grab your hand again you're right there to grab them again put your hand around their muzzle and you just gently squeeze it no bite um so that's a physical correction and then later in the dog's life after you do formal obedience and you do collar conditioning properly then you could give uh, a collar correction where you're giving a command and, and you know, giving a nick, basically. But that Once zero, they understand how that goes and everything. And that's not in the zero to six month range. That's another thing I get people, you know, what collar should I buy and the dog's three months old or it's wearing a collar and it's three months old and they send me a picture. You know, that's pretty young to be wearing a collar there are some people that do it there are some pros um i was just talking at a hunt test with a guy who says uh, a really well-known trainer that has youtube channel and all that jazz he puts it on the dog and just had a very very low level stimulation will correct the dog or guide the dog and shape behavior with the collar at a young age and i'm sure he does it right you know what i mean like he's been doing it for 40 years i'm sure he does it right but the first-time dog owner who got his first puppy, that's not right. You still have a lot to learn. And, you know, slapping a collar on a dog to tell it no or no jumping or to come when they're called and they haven't been taught is not the correct answer. You need to teach, 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 and then overlay what you taught with the collar. That sounds like a quick way of having a crazy dog that doesn't understand pressure on pressure off or why am i getting zinged or what is this happening right now it sounds i mean i don't know the guy's been doing it for 40 years and well i understand how he does it so i get it um and we collar condition brew and culper at a younger age than i would suggest or tell people to do but you know they got it and it was at a low level and it's still at a pretty low level and we're good but I think for the general person, you don't want to start collar conditioning until they're after six months old. So now 
let's get to some of the fun stuff with that zero to six month old puppy. I'm huge weather permitting, huge fan of getting that dog to swim as soon as possible. If you can get your dog to follow you into the water, and we've got a YouTube video on watching Memphis and Boss, you know, four years ago doing it. If you can get at a young age that dog to feel comfortable, confident, and love water, you are way better off. So, for instance, when we got Boss in Memphis, it was February. Freezing cold up here in New York. It was one of the colder winters that I remember, and we were trying to house train these dogs and taking them out in negative degree weather where they're not cool they would like they didn't want to be on the snow because it was so cold their paws were freezing and they'd pick their paws up and just you know memph would pee immediately and run back in the house and boss wouldn't even go outside he just would say he wouldn't go outside but if you picked him up and brought him outside you'd put him down on the snowbank and he would pee and then look up at you like all right we're good to go yeah pick pick me up up and take me back in (laughs) so um you know obviously we couldn't get them in the water until later, you know, I think it was like April-ish. Yeah. Um, and they were already four and a half. They were like five and a half months maybe old. Maybe five point. months old at that yeah. point, And they hadn't swam yet because it was too cold. So weather permitting, that was the earliest we could do it. Luckily, we had no problems. If you watch the video, you'll see Boss struggling a little bit. And then he overcame it and kicked butt. Memph could care less. She still, you put anything in her way for a bumper, she'll go and do it. Why um, do you think... Uh, what do you think is one of the hardest things about getting a dog to feel confident in the water? Oh, uh, the initial losing their footing. So a lot of them will wade into their belly and then not want to take that next step to where they actually have to paddle and swim. So that initial like buoyancy, like sink or swim feeling, a lot of them will hesitate and dance around on the shoreline. Um, several of the puppies that I raised that didn't get in the water until they were older, they were doing that. They weren't super comfortable being four and a half, five months old and just now swimming. So what we did, first of all, I, I get in the water with them. So I'm up to my shorts in water and I've played fun bumpers on the shoreline. So they're jazzed up beyond belief, fired up, and then I grab that bumper and I walk into the water and I tease them until they'll wade in with me, and then I tease them, tease them, tease them, and then short throw out into the water where it's too enticing to not go and get it. If you toss it too far, they're going to be like, that's wicked far. I'm not going and getting that, <laughs> right? So the, it's it's too far out of reach, but if you do it just on the edge of the reach, they'll go and get it. And then you get it a little further and a little further and a little further. And all of a sudden, you got a puppy who's barreling into the water in 10 minutes. Now, if they don't and they still play that tippy-toe game, I don't force them to do it. And I also don't like them to play the tippy-toe game very long. Like, I think that can create some problems in and of itself where they're like, well, if I just stay here long enough, he'll give me the bumper or something. So... If they're not going to do it, I'm not going to do it either. Um, And we'll just come back and fight another day or fight later that day where we try it out again and try and have success. That whole water thing is success. The major don'ts for introducing a puppy to water. I never pick a dog up and carry them into the water. 
Because the first thing they're going to do is turn around and swim right back to shore and be nervous and freaked out. So I always make sure that the puppy follows me into the water on their own terms. I don't drag the puppy in by the leash. Once in a great while, again, depending on the dog and what I've seen the puppy do and figure out, I might coax it a little bit and then boom, it's off and swimming. And if I'm really seeing like they're too nervous and and I'm making it worse, I back right off. I give them a fun bump around the water as if that stuff never happened. And I try again without tugging a little bit. Um, Generally speaking, I don't like doing it with another dog. I know it works, but sometimes that other dog can be intimidating because they're running and splashing and that puppy gets splashed in the face and it's, it's overwhelming for them. So generally I don't do it with another dog. I have done it with other dogs. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I like them to, it's that unspoken bond wherever I go, that puppy wants to go too. So if I'm in that water, it's coming in the water. Um, we I just also, went into this with Covey a few weeks ago because she was, well, I guess we talked about this a little bit on, on past shows, but it took her a little while. Um, she's well, a, it's not really her breed. She's an English setter, not super well-known for being watery, but over time and acclimating and trying and trying and trying, we got her to swim, and now you can't keep her out of the water. <laughs> she just goes for. She just goes out to sea. Right. So it, it takes time and patience, but you got to, it's building reps and building confidence. Right. Um, another thing I don't like to do, current. So like a, a river, um, a steep, steep like drop off. So like the puppy can't really wade in. It's like jumps in and all of a sudden goes under and pops back up and is like, holy cow, what was that? Or like an ocean or a big lake where you've got, kind of rolling waves and all that noise and you know water rushing into them and rushing away so I don't take a puppy to a beach or a a big lake right away either it's got to be like a shallow entry place I'm also really conscious of pools docks um, things where puppy can kind of like lean over too far and tip in and you know fall ass end over tea kettle type of thing where now they're they fell in and they like pop up like whoa doing a puppy paddle and panicking and panicking to get to shore so those are big no-nos for me build drive build retrieve drive build your relationship with the puppy and get them to come in and follow you in and use the bumper as your tool to get them in i feel like that's kind of like maybe taking a mini pause of like that's the 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 thesis and the takeaway of this whole zero to six month thing is little baby steps, puppy steps and building confidence yep. in socialization and working with bumpers and swimming in, I mean, just about everything. Absolutely. Now make it fun, build confidence. Now let's get into some retrieving. So the first thing I tell people is always leave that puppy wanting more. So two to three retrieves, Tease them with it, then put it away. The other thing is, always by always leaving wanting more, if they can carry that bumper around anytime they want and it's a part of their toy repertoire that they can grab, like, oh, there's your bumper, there's your stuffed animal, there's your Kong, and it just becomes another 
you know, it's not fun. It's uh, supply and demand. Well, think about it, like Kevin. If the only thing you could drink was Johnny Walker, <sighs> no, nothing else, just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You had nothing else to drink but Johnny Walker. Then Johnny Walker special occasion, like tonight, it wouldn't be a special occasion. You'd be like, man, I don't, I really don't want it anymore, man. I've had it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, actually, I'm pretty sure some alcoholics like it for I breakfast. I know there's lunch a few people. I don't know, there's... but but that's not you know. Point that, being, point that being, you make it special. You make it something that they don't get all the time, and so when they do get it, it is the greatest right. thing. When they see the you world. pull that bumper out, it's game time. It's go time. They know that it's their special treat, and they're fired up. Um, so bumpers are to be. You know, put on a shelf or hidden away until it's time to work. Then two to three retrieves, depending on your puppy. Maybe it's one. If you got a low drive dog that you're struggling to to go and get it to chase it, you know, maybe it's one retrieve and have success on that retrieve and tease the puppy and then put it up. Most of them will do two or three. The other thing is you want low distractions. So I start off the puppy in, you know, a hallway. Throw that little baby puppy bumper down the hallway. There's nothing else around. The only way to go is come on back to me. With a leash on the dog? Or how, how can you guarantee that the dog's going to come back to you? Well, I mean, that's your job. You can have another bumper in your hand to tease them to come back. Same if you're outside. Like some of the puppies, you know, the six-month-olds that were working with the cruise pups this past weekend, you know, you still have a bumper in your other hand. They go and get the mark, and you're waving the bumper to have them be fired up to come back instead of dilly-dallying around or what have you. So it's your job to high-pitch voice, you know, get them all excited. It's all about building love for the game. So, you know, don't don't make them be steady. I don't steady puppies. Um, and, and that's something we talked about this weekend with the six-month-old pups is – you know, we started steadying up Bruin Culper, and Bill had started to try and steady up Aries, and we all like kind of talked about it. It's like they're just not ready yet. We're still teaching marking. We're still teaching other skill sets. Let's not focus on steadying yet. So when they start to go, I send them. A lot of fun bumpers for those young dogs. Build that desire. With that being said, I think there is something as too much desire. So you can create other problems by going too far that way as well. So, you know, we want self-control in that dog, but we don't want it to the point where it's not as fun and they could give or take it. And there's different methodologies like, you know, the British method. If you if you guys check out like Wild Rose, there's a lot of great stuff to learn from that method, the British style. A um, lot of good takeaways, a lot of... I don't know, a lot of good stuff. But one thing that they do and really hone in and hammer on the dogs is steadiness. And they do it from a little puppy. And I think it takes drive away. It takes, if you hold them back, you're holding back that instinct and desire to go chase. Well, when it's 15 degrees out and you are swimming in a current and you're chasing down a crippled duck, passing ice shelves that are floating by, you need that dog to be so bold and confident and driven for the duck that nothing's standing in its way. And I think if you steady a dog up too soon and you do it to the wrong dog, 
you're going to take all that fun out of it. And they're going to be like, meh, not today. I'm out. If you're going to make me wait here, I don't feel like doing it. So don't steady your pup up too soon. Two to three retrieves a day. If you can, I know this is hard for most people, and I'm more the exception than the rule because I do it for my living, but birds, go on Craigslist. That's where I found my homing pigeons. You know, there's there's farmers that want pigeons caught and gotten, you know, removed from their barns. Call a pest control company to see if they're doing any pigeon removal, things like that where you could buy three pigeons, six pigeons, whatever, one pigeon, I don't care. Kevin and I, one story we did when we had Boss in Memphis, we, we pulled our canoe underneath a bridge. Kevin climbed up into the rafters of this bridge over a river and <laughs> caught a bunch of pigeons for us, and we used those live pigeons to train Memphis. a statute of limitations on... Uh, yeah, we probably broke some laws, so I wouldn't suggest that. But the point is, we we'll went. Cut that. <laughs> we we went to the extreme to make sure that our young dogs had live bird contact, small birds that are not super intimidating for puppies, and we let them have a blast with them. Um, I don't let puppies eat them or shred them, but I let them kind of do other everything other than that. Um, can it's, you can you explain what that means? Like, are you just letting the pup letting like do you uh, put a rubber band around the wings or pull flight feathers or like how do you? I mean, if you just let a bird go, bird's gonna yeah. fly away, right? No, good point, Kev. So I'll pull flight feathers, um, and I learned this the hard way. If you pull both flight feathers on both wings, that bird will fly forever. It's just going to fly low and slow, <laughs> but it's going to go for a long time. So, so it, you do one side. I mean, right. So you only do one side and it makes the bird lopsided and it's going to flutter to the ground in 20 or 30 yards. And that puppy can be right on its tail feathers, chasing it, build and drive and confidence. And when that bird hits the ground, it's going to be right on its butt and tackle it, hopefully. And then it might dance around and not know what to do with it. Just no biggie. Walk up, pick that bird up, toss it again, and just try and get your puppy to pick it up. I'll put a check cord on the puppy at this point so that I can keep it from running away with the bird or getting a little too crazy with it. And I'll do two or three retrieves like that, and then I'll put the bird away and be done. Um, but it's a positive experience. It's high excitement, high intensity, and they you can literally see the light bulb go off in their brain oh, yeah. like, oh, my God. That's what I've been bred for. This is what I'm here on this earth to do is so, chase birds. Yeah. Well, uh, one quick last, like, how-to. Which which one's the flight feathers? Yep, that I was going to go there. It's a great point. So when you spread a wing out, you go to the tip of the wing and pluck like half of the feathers from the tip of the wing to like their elbow-ish, those are the flight feathers. So if you pluck those on one side of the bird and throw it, it's going to flutter to the ground and, and not be able to stay airborne. Um, so it, you can probably YouTube it. Yeah. Uh, you can cut them with scissors or pluck them. I just pluck them. Um, Who carries scissors with them? I don't know, dude. I definitely did it when I had Buck. We did it with a pheasant. Really? Yeah. Good thing. That. 
Pheasants are an aggressive bird. Yeah. So it's uh, well, they dude, got made spurs for a reason. Yeah, I made some mistakes. I wouldn't do a pheasant. Tell those stories. <laughs> yeah, I know. Again, I'm just like everybody else. My first dog, I made mistakes. And it really wasn't a mistake because it worked out in bucks in my favor. But, you know, that pheasant hauled ass. And <laughs> and f- he was all over this field chasing this bird. Well, and you forget that pheasants run. Yeah. Well, it'd run, it'd fly, it'd run, it'd fly, it'd jump, he'd catch it, and then he'd get away from him because he couldn't figure out how to pick it up. But it, what it did was made him bird crazy. I mean, he was on that bird's tail all across the field at Three Rivers, right off Potter Road, your favorite place. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The quail are pretty easy. I used quail for brew and culper when they were real little babies. Um, Where do you get quail? uh, Kevin, your questions are on point tonight, man. Oh, yeah. So you can get quail, chucker, and pheasant from a website called Z-Birds. Z Z is in Z-Birds. Nope, it's just zbirds.com. Bet on it? Yeah, I will bet on it. I'll bet you. Whoa, live bet? Live bet. Kevin, uh, I bet you a dozen chucker that. That's a big bet. It's like 150 bucks. He's got money bags. I'm just saying, Kevin's about to lose. So, anyways, zbirds.com, and Kevin's about to. Oh, Uncle Bob was right. Specializing in finches. That's not it. Oh, shoot. That looked like a chucker, though, didn't it? No, it's zgamebirds.com. Son of a gun. Yeah, no, that's cool. Real excited. By the way, as a side note that Bob didn't know, I just talked with Anthony Farrow today from Fetching Feathers. Uh, check out that episode from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles about Z Game Birds. Damn it. So I knew exactly <laughs> what Son I was talking bitch. about. ZGameBirds.com. That's where we order our stuff from. Quick side note, the uh, post office, not a huge fan of shipping a dozen. No, they're all right with it. So here's what happens. You (laughs) order from zgamebirds.com. Now I owe Kevin Chucker. And they'll send you, like, different packages. So you can get, I think, four or six pheasant. You can get a dozen Chucker. You can get a dozen quail. And they put them in a box and ship them to you. You can also get Huns now. Yeah, apparently. Um. They'll ship them to your local post office. Your post office will call you at 6 a.m.-ish, and they'll say, your birds are here, come and get them. You'll go and get them, and you'll get your birds on food and water quickly, and now you've got training birds for your dog. Um, So if you can't find someone who has pigeons on Craigslist, I think chucker and quail are good little starters. Um, It's just a little bit of money. And, I mean, you got to put them somewhere. Yeah, but... Yeah, you could cob job something quickly just to keep them for a little while to get the experience for your puppy. Yeah. And then you know what you do? You freeze those sons of guns and you use frozen birds. Yep. So that's another question that we get all the time, too, is like, hey, I'm starting out and I don't have a freezer full of ducks and birds and random things like we do. Uh, You know, make sure your freezer's plugged in. Ran into that last week. It's all right. Don't worry about it. But, I mean, it. we do get that question a lot of, where do I get ducks? You can't just go out to a, a sure. Yeah, out of season you can't yeah. get birds. So there's there's game farms. I mean, you 
Google this stuff, guys. I mean, I don't know how I do it. I just figure out a way to win so that my dogs can be successful. And I have to do it for a living, so I got to do it for 20 dogs. So you find a company like Z Game Birds, and they send you stuff. You know, there's, for me, I used to drive four and a half hours, pick up a bunch of ducks, drive four and a half hours back, and I had birds, you know, and I could train, you know, retrievers on live ducks um, and pheasant. I bought a bunch of pheasants from those same people there, Juanita or something like that in Pennsylvania. Juliata, I don't know. Google it. (laughs) People don't know what to Google. (laughs) Yeah, it starts with a J. It's in Pennsylvania, and they got game birds. Anywho... My point is, where there's a will, there's a way. And your dog can't, you know, come hunting season, the first time they see a duck shouldn't be, you know, a cripple that's swimming away or diving on them. You got to teach them these things. And so those zero to six months, you're introducing them to dead birds, small birds, live pigeons, quail, chucker, stuff like that. Um Let's see. I mean, no. we had we talked with our buddy Ethan at Standing Stone Kennels a few episodes ago, and, and we had asked him, like, you know, hey, like, if you don't have pigeons, what do you do? And his exact answer was get pigeons. Right. Because you can't have a bird dog without birds, and you need to have that stepping stone system where you're starting on pigeons, you're building that retrieve drive. Yeah. You can't, you can't do it without doing it. Right, exactly. So, um Dokens are great. Those are a great little uh, thing to use when you don't use birds all the time. I just use bumpers. I don't even use dokens anymore. But, you know, for your average guy who's got one dog, you know, three dokens and a a dozen black and white bumpers are going to be able to train you a gun dog. Um, All right, so we did retrieving two to three for the first few months. Then as they age and that drive is up, then you can do more. You can do further distances, challenge them. You don't want every mark to come from your hip. What I mean by coming from your hip is a hand-thrown bumper. So you're only as good as you can throw it. So if you can only throw it 40 yards and your dog every day gets 40-yard marks, your dog's only going to go 40 to 45 yards and then they're going to break down and hit a invisible wall and be like, no, I've only found them at this distance. I'm not going further because I know it's here. So if you knock a bird down and it sails out 80 yards, it's just not going to miraculously go that far. Okay. So you need a buddy who you hunt with or a girlfriend or a wife or your boyfriend or your husband. You guys need to go out Go to a soccer field, go to state land, go to a farmer's field, and throw marks in the land and in the water at different distances. And one way I like to stretch a dog out is by feeding them bumpers. So your bird boy or girl is going to be out in the field, and they got a couple of bumpers in their hand, and they're going to hey, hey, or blow a duck call and throw a bumper. As that dog's driving out to the the bumper, and you can see that puppy starting to waver and not want to go as far, and they're going to break down and start to hunt, your bird boy is going to hey, hey, and throw another bumper right where that other one was. And it's going to keep that dog driving confidently. And then you scale that back, and sometimes you bring it back in, and sometimes you don't. And then your bird boy's got to be there to help the puppy. 
if the puppy gets to the area of the fall and starts hunting big and getting out of the out of the area and is not winding it right, have that bird boy step out, fake throw, hey, hey, or throw another bumper. You, you want the dog to be successful and always find the bird or the bumper. You never want a dog to come back without it. So build that success, build that drive, that desire, build those marking abilities. Then you can start studying after that six-month age. Gunfire. hey oh, All right. This is a goodie. Also have a YouTube video about this one. I do. And I quoted, I should put this damn thing on a T-shirt. You can't have a bird dog or a gun dog gun if dog. they're afraid of guns. You can't have a gun dog if they're afraid of gunfire. We should okay. make that into a t-shirt. Sure. So. Watch for that. If you don't do it properly and you test to see if your dog is gun shy, you might end up with a gun shy dog. You have to train it. It's just like, you know, the example with Buck. If that pheasant beat the crap out of him and it scared him and he didn't want to pick it up and he didn't want to go and get it, I could have been in a a real situation where I'd have a hard time getting my dog to pick up birds because I allowed a more strong, charismatic game bird to kick his butt. So that was my mistake back in the day. Don't just take a dog out into the field and shoot a 12-gauge next to it and see if it's gun shy or throw one bumper and shoot a gun and see if it's gun shy you might end up with a gun shy dog and you did it they don't come out of the mother's womb gun shy yeah it's not a genetic deal no not at all so people make gun shy dogs not dogs that are no dogs are gun shy so that's a that might be the t-shirt is dogs aren't born gun shy people what is it Guns don't kill people. I kill people. Was it Happy Gilmore? (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Classic. If you're too young and haven't seen Happy Gilmore, you need to do that. Do yourself a favor. Uh, But it it makes sense, though. I mean, you can't. It's like, I mean, we said it a thousand times. Crawl, walk, run, baby. So here's how I do it. I've got a, a helper, and I got a, I have a 22 blank pistol. If you don't have a 22 blank pistol, Maybe take a 22 long rifle or a 22 real pistol and just shoot it safely in a safe direction. Don't fire it into the air and, you know, like. <laughs> Yosemite Sam. <laughs> yeah, or you see like the, I won't go there either, but people who like rattle off AK-47s into the sky, like we aren't doing that, right? So you'd point it in a safe direction, shoot it maybe into the ground or wherever, I don't know. I'd highly suggest for 80 bucks you just get a starter pistol, but anyways, do what you got to do. Just don't come back to me and tell me I told you to do it. So get um, a starter pistol. So get a starter pistol, and your bird boy is going to be 100 yards or more away, and you will have built retrieve drive. This is not what you do with a three-month-old puppy. You do this with your five-month-old puppy, six-month-old puppy who's built retrieve drive and nothing will stand in his way and he barrels after that mark and he comes back to you and he's happy and he's confident when you've got that rolling then you can do gunfire so you got your guy out in the field 100 yards away you got the dog with a bumper you wind the dog up throw the bumper when that dog's halfway to the bumper raise your hand and your bird boy will shoot the gun pow now two things are going to happen 
one, the dog's going to run and pick that bumper up, not be phased at all, and come right back to you, and you're good. Two, the dog's going to pop, look around, what was that noise, either come back to you or finish the retrieve. Either or, go and get the bumper or come back to you, you need to slow down, give them a freebie, back that gunner up even further, and try again. But don't make a big deal out of it. Don't coddle them. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Just at, grab that bumper. Hey, hey, hey. Throw it again. Freebie. Throw it again. Freebie. Back your gunner up. Try again. Um, watch. Watch the dog. body language. Yep. Body language of the dog is key. If they do nothing and they're fired up and they do their job going and getting it and bringing it back, Maybe do one more at that distance and then move your gunner in to 75 yards. Throw it halfway to the bumper, raise your hand, gunner shoots, dog either does one of two things, goes and gets it without any issue, or they're going to pop and look around and wonder what's going on. Again, if they pop and look around, back the gunner up, give a couple freebies, try again. How many sessions do you usually take to get to being like having a gun next to the dog this is every dog's different but generally i move it along quickly but i've done like dogs will have been with me for two months or more before i even do this so we've built a ton of to retrieve drive we've trained a lot they understand their job and they love it so when by the time i do gunfire they've already had the 209 primers out of the gunner you know, the gunner's up winger or a starter pistol out in the field shooting the bumper, uh, like from the bird boys. They've already had some gunfire to some degree. And then and it's all built around the greatest thing in the world, which is retrieving. Right. So again, I'm gonna go with two or three sessions where you're moving in to, you know, twenty you know, from 110 yards to 50 yards, and you stop. Maybe you do eight to 10 throws, and you move your gunner in within 50 yards, and the dog is still doing great. Awesome. Stop. Come back the next day. Start at 75 and get down to 25. Great. Stop. Next day, 75 yards all the way to where he's five yards from you, 10 yards from you. Shoot the 22 blank. Now, that's three or four sessions. Now you got your guy, you're still doing fun bumpers, but your guy's shooting the 22 and he's not paying any attention. He's retrieving great. Awesome. Grab a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge. Start out at 125, 100 yards. Do it again and do that whole slow process. You're not rushing this. Um, can't stand people who are like, took my dog to a 4th of July party or to a bonfire and people were ripping off firecrackers and dog was fine. Well, you're lucky. I mean, that's just dumb. (laughs) Straight up. (laughs) You know who did that? Freaking Jake Neely. Shout out to my boy Jake. He knows. He knows. (laughs) Just calling out hard. Call out hard, Jake. I don't know if he listens, but I hope he does. I love him to death, and he did phenomenal with his dog. Oh, yeah. He self, yep. He self trained his dog, um, running senior level now. I mean, he is the quintessential awesome day training student. Where when you 
showed him and taught him something, he went home and tried hard and taught his dog and works his dog daily. Yeah, good dude. But one of the first things but he told me <laughs> apparently mine was like, well. I took my dog to a bonfire and, yeah, we were shooting bottle rockets off and, yeah, no, nope, he was fine. So he got lucky. But it, it's just a bad move because it could have gone wrong and now your dog is spooky around really loud noises. And, and even firecrackers aren't a gunfire. Like, there's a big flash. There's fire. There's pow, 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 pow. Like, it's nuts. So don't do that stuff. Don't shoot off M80s and... Don't don't reinvent the wheel. For eighty bucks, you can get a starter pistol, and everybody who duck hunts has a twelve gauge. Take your time, do it right, and you will have a dog that's good with gunfire and relates the gunfire with retrieving and right. fun. All right. So now that we've gotten some gunfire work done, we're getting there, guys. This dog is like five to six months old, and we're getting there. Now, one of the things that I want to caveat this all with is while you're doing this stuff, remember we were talking about socialization earlier, people, places, and things. We're also acclimating to things that they're going to see come hunting season. So the main rule of thumb is you don't want your dog to do something for the first time on the hunt. So some things that you can do with your young dog once they once they're a little bit bigger and like you got yourself together and you got control of the situation but boat rides are cool canoe rides are cool um take them to your duck blind you know just take them into the swamp take them and throw fun bumpers in places that you like to hunt take them through a walk through a corn cut cornfield and throw a couple fun bumpers right uh, and or do marks in cornfields like those are, are all out of a pip line. Do marks out of a pip line. Sure. Those are all great things. Here again is a, a sound advice. Do not hunt your dog too young. This is another thing I used to get pictures back in the day when I was doing gun dog of the month. That was a badass contest. We used to have hundreds of people send pictures, but whatever. Maybe we'll do that again. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. I'm sorry, everybody. I got a lot on my plate. <laughs> I, going through everybody's pictures was pretty cool, though, and, and everybody loves sharing stories about their dog, so maybe we will do it. But anyways, um, I would get pictures of, like, babies, four-month-old puppies in a duck blind with, with a couple ducks at its feet, and uh, the guy saying, like, Bo's first duck hunt, nailed it, right? And it's like, damn, man, like, your puppy's so young that he didn't know which end was up. And Bo doesn't even have adult teeth. No, and, and you took him out in a place that he doesn't know, and you know that could have been a great way to start gun shyness or just a negative experience where you're sitting around doing nothing and your dog's nervous and, and antsy and can't sit still and you're creating bad habits. We're trying to create good habits and teach and teach and teach and show and 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 develop and build. And like Kevin said earlier, it's a building block. If you if you don't put one of those blocks in, your whole foundation is going to be jacked up. So take your time. There's no rush to hunt your dog too young. Now, I hunted buck at like seven and a half months old. But at that point in his career... He was steady. He had been on live birds before. 
he had been introduced to gunfire properly. Um, he had been in and out of boats. We didn't hunt him out of a boat his first hunt. but And then it was just me and one other guy, my buddy Dave. I probably told this story of the lone duck, the mat, the wood duck. Let it rip. <laughs> That's for another podcast. We probably already did it, and I, we don't need to digress anymore. But the point is I spent every waking minute with that dog teaching it and training it and reading books and DVDs. I didn't just wing it. And even not winging it, he still had a lot to learn and grow and develop and like didn't just pop out doing everything perfect. So you can't expect him to do everything perfect. And you need that first season to teach them that all the things that you train them to do is, you know, held, they're held accountable during hunting. But if you haven't taught it, then you can't hold them accountable for it. So be sure to do me a favor. Don't take your four or five or six month old puppy on a first duck hunt or dove hunt or whatever hunt, you know, train them, teach them, show them. And then when they're ready, hunt them under um, controlled circumstances. One or two buddies who pop one or two rounds off and knock one duck down and it's not crippled and swimming away at, you know, breakneck speed. So, you know, those are some of the tidbits I've got for your zero to six months. Guys, if you got questions, comments, you can do a couple things. One, you can shoot us a DM on Instagram. It's at Lone Duck. That's where I'm at most of the time. If you need a question answered, I'm there. Um, also, leave some comments on our podcast. You know, that that helps us. Give us a rating. We would appreciate it. I mean, if it's anything less than five stars, you can go listen to another podcast, suckers. <laughs> I'm kidding. But... Truthfully, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you checking out LoneDuckOutfitters.com and and seeing if you'd like some swag. We got a lot of cool gear. And if you have questions, if you need help with your dog, I'm here to help you guys, the community. And uh, we'll be doing more of these. So, hey, cheers until episode 33, baby. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.